It's good to be with you guys. Good morning. I'm Mark, one of the pastors here on staff. I, I've had a great week. I don't know about you guys, man. I, I, uh, there are times, this is the first time I've preached through a gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, there, there are times when it just hits me the way I think it should. I cried a lot this week, just overwhelmed with the love of God for us as displayed by His Son, as displayed on a cross. It just blows my mind. I love it. I hope that we just continue to grow in that reality, that we are indeed a child of God. It's just amazing to me. Oh, and then to to be able to do this together. Thank you. What a joy. It's so good to be part of of your family, that we're part of God's family. Thank you so much. I got a text this morning, like I almost always do every Sunday from Pastor John. You know, he's just so snarky. So... What's, so it reminded me, two weeks ago on a Friday night, my girls went to Valley Christian out in Cerritos, and they graduated a number of years ago, and my wife went to Valley Christian, and my mother-in-law went to Valley Christian, and so there's a whole community there that we know, and so I saw an old friend, went to the, my nephew's football game, I hadn't been there for a couple of years, saw an old friend, Chris Warners, and his dad's a retired pastor, and, and Chris asked me, what are you doing, are you in ministry? And I said, yes I am. He knew, last we had chatted a couple of years ago, I had just, um, I, was, I was maybe a year or two into seminary. And uh, he says, well, where are you at? So I said, the Rock Community Church. He goes, oh, Pastor John. I, <laughs> I said, you know him? He goes, yeah, a couple years ago, I had a, maybe an hour, spent about an hour with him, heard him preach a couple times, and then he stops talking. He says, wow, you got big shoes to fill. Now, duh. I, you know, John retired a year and two months ago, and I heard that prior to the months of him retiring, and for the first couple months after that, and I thought I was over having ever to hear that again. And here it was a year later. you got big shoes to fill. I'm like, thank you for reminding me. But anyway, I thought that was a cute story and a true story. But uh, Pastor John, all that to say is Pastor John says hello. Always, always sending his love. I love that man. Such a good man. We are in Mark chapter 15. Does anybody know what's going on in Mark chapter 15? Anybody? Jesus, this is the day that he uh, gets crucified. He gets handed over and he gets crucified. That's what Mark chapter 15 is all about. Let me um, briefly recap, really the last couple of weeks and last couple of months, to kind of get us up to speed because I think it's important. If... I don't know if you guys remember, but in Mark chapter 8, I've referenced this a few times, in Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 9, and in Mark chapter 10, three things, it's three times it's talked about something that's going to happen in Mark chapter 15. What is the thing that's going to happen? Jesus is going to die. He's going to be crucified. And it's mentioned three times in Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark 8 it says that he will suffer Jesus will suffer many things. It says in Mark 8 that he will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and that he will be killed. Okay, Mark chapter 9 says that he will be delivered or betrayed into the hands of men and that he will be killed. And then in Mark 10 it says that he will be condemned to death. He will be delivered or betrayed to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be spit on or spat on. I'm not sure which one's more correct. He will be scourged. He will be killed. However, however, can you recall what is also mentioned at the end of all three of those 
descriptions, that he will do what? He will rise again. All three of those instances in Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10 close with the fact that he will rise again. Mark 8.31 says, after three days he will rise again. Mark 9.31 says that he will rise three days later. Mark 10.34 says that, and three days later he will rise again. Our Lord will rise again and has risen again. What a great reminder for us. As obedient, faithful, and committed followers of Jesus, we too have the promise that no matter what the Lord has in store for us, we know that it serves His purposes and that we too, we too shall rise again, both literally and figuratively. It's the deep conviction of this reality that fueled Jesus' ability to endure such harsh and unfair treatment and circumstances that surrounded his life. And then we get to Mark 14. As the reality of the cross is now only days away, Jesus introduces to his disciples the Lord's Supper. And it was to be a constant ritual or a constant reminder of what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me. His explanation while he's handing out the Lord's Supper, his explanation emphasizes and clarifies that he knows exactly what awaits him. Because he says, this is my body, broken for you. This is my blood poured out for many. He knows what awaits him. And so after the Lord's Supper, where does he go? Do you remember? The Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he go there to do, church? You guys are awesome. Nobody answered that nine at 9 o'clock or last night. They were too afraid. This is the bold people. I love it. It wasn't to pray, by the way. Just kidding. It was to pray. It was to pray. Jesus didn't run from the Lord's will in his life. No. He prepares for it. We have things in our lives that we need to be preparing for. Jesus prepared for what awaited him. His you know what awaits him? His betrayal, his arrest, his joke of a trial, his three times being denied by Peter, his resurrection and, uh, I'm sorry, his rejection of being released when, when uh, the crowd was in favor of releasing Barabbas, his scourging, his mocking, his crucifixion are all about to take place. And so he enters the garden to pray. And Mark tells us that Jesus was very distressed and very troubled and that his soul was deeply grieved to the point of what? Remember? Death. His soul was deeply grieved to the point of death. And that he fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, that that hour might pass him by. That's Mark 14. And now we're in Mark 15. That hour is now here. The warnings and the realities of Mark 8 and Mark 9 and Mark 10 are about to unfold. The reality, and not just the ritual, but the reality of the Lord's Supper is about to take place. His distressed, troubled, and grieving soul are about to be put to the most severe test ever given. Quite literally, the weight of the world the sins of the world are about to be placed on the very shoulders of Jesus Christ as He takes to the cross. 
in this endeavor, we witness the burden of a man, Jesus Christ. We witness the burden of a man that no other man has ever encountered. And we see him alone as he endures it. He, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Chosen One, Jesus the Anointed One, is alone because He and He alone is the spotless Lamb and perfect sacrifice for us. Can I get an amen? But, this is the day that the Lord has made and we can rejoice and be glad in it. Look at Psalm 118, verses 22 through 26. 22 through 26 in Psalm 118. Psalm is in the Old Testament about the center of your Bible. I like the way you guys changed that. You guys are, that's good. Psalm 118, 22 through 26. The stone, this is talking about Jesus, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It didn't just happen. The Lord brought this about. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Thank you, Lord. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us, church, rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, Lord, do save. Do you remember what that gets translated into in the New Testament? Hosanna. That's what, oh, Lord, do save means. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, do save, we beseech you. Oh, Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, continue to open up our hearts and our minds to the greatness of your love as displayed in your Son, as displayed on the cross. We're so grateful. This is the day that you have made, and we rejoice and we're glad in it, and we say thank you, literally, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts. It's in your name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Let's read Mark 15, verses 1 through 21, okay? Mark 15, verses uh, 1 through 21. Verse 1, Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation, and they bind our Lord. They bind Jesus. They led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, questioned Jesus, and he said, Are you the king of the Jews? He says, Yeah, it is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly, which means they accused him of many, many things. And then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? Do you see how many charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no further answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them, Pilate did, um, any one prisoner whom they would request. And there was a man named Barabbas, and he had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in this insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do, asking Pilate to do what he had always uh, done for them. And Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you Jesus, the king of the Jews? For he was aware, he was aware that the chief priests had handed Jesus over because they were envious. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas instead. And answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. And Pilate said, Why? 
What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Oh, Pilate, don't do it. Don't do verse 15. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. Oh, we do this at times. Pilate released Barabbas. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. And the soldiers took Jesus away into the palace, the praetorium, and they uh, called together the whole Roman cohort, which is a group of 600, 600 men, and they dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they, they placed it on Jesus' head. And they began to shout out, Hail, King of the Jews, in a mocking fashion. They kept beating his head. Kept beating means they beat his head again and again and again. And spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments back on. And they led him out to crucify him. And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, uh, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to, to bear the cross of Jesus. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to take a look in our text in these 21 verses at a couple different storylines. That's what we're going to do, okay? As mentioned, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ, before He took the cross, He had all the right credentials. He had all the right credentials to be our Messiah. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was the spotless Lamb. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to give our fingers a little exercise this morning. First Peter's tucked in behind Hebrews and James at the end of the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1. This is the credentials of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Church, knowing that you, you and I, were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your sinful or your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, which means he's God, fully God and fully man, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. He showed up for you. Hey, Jesus, why are you here? I came for you. You came for me? Yeah, for the sake of you. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Who through him are believers because of Christ were believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and my faith and your hope and my hope can be in God because Jesus came for us. Wow. So Jesus has the credentials. So he's the perfect sacrifice. He's the spotless lamb. That's good. Who did he come for then? Everybody. His credentials cover every sin and everybody. Jesus not only had the credentials, but Jesus had a comprehensive plan for salvation. Comprehensive for everybody. Whose sins did he come to die for? Not just the religious leaders, not just the Jewish nation, not ju and not just the Gentile nation, but everybody, the religious leaders and the Jewish nation and all Gentile nations. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 
Romans. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Romans 3, starting in verse 9. In the heading, my Bible, in the heading of chapter 3, verse 1, it says, All the world is guilty. Yes, we are. Starting at verse 9, What then, because of being Jewish, are we better than they, being Jews? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles, or Greeks in this wording here, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one is in right standing with God. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. No, you're not a good person. I don't know if that's news to you. I'm sorry if I, spoiled it, if I spoiled it for you. Maybe you haven't gotten that far in the Bible yet. So I apologize. But I'm just going to give it away. You're not a good person. No, not one. No, not one. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's happening today, church. Too many people don't have a fear of God. And a lot of it exists inside the doggone church. Now we know, verse 19, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin that we need a Savior, a perfect Savior, a credentialed Savior with a comprehensive plan for mankind and for all of our sin. If that doesn't move you, I don't know what will. Mark, in his gospel, does an amazing work as he winds down. There's only 16 chapters in Mark, and he's winding it down. And I think he does a great job. He pulls uh, together, in our verses, he's pulling everything together to reveal his comprehensive plan. As Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone, what? Astray. And when Jesus is being led up to be crucified, His redemptive work on the cross has every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every sin in mind. Turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah's after um, Psalms and after Proverbs and before Jeremiah, I hope. Isaiah 53, verses 5, 6, and 7. Verse 5, Isaiah 53. But He, Jesus, was pierced through for our transgressions. Are you kidding me? I don't want to be pierced through for my own transgressions. I sure as heck don't want to be pierced through for yours. Right? Who wants that gig? But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. Who does this? 
All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The Lord caused that to happen. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Let's take a quick look at the outline. So in verses 1 through 5, there's mention of the council. It's the religious leaders, the scribes, the elders, and the chief priests. In verses 6 through 15, there's mention many times of the crowd. In verses 16 through 20, we see Jesus being handed over to the Roman cohort. And then the cross. And so that first section, the council, that's the religious leaders. That second section, the crowd, that's the nation of Israel. That third section, the cohort, that's the Gentile nations. And then Simon of Cyrene, who carries the cross, that's you and me. That's the call to discipleship. To carry the cross and follow Jesus. And I think um, Mark brilliantly lays out this, this, uh, these 21 verses before Jesus takes the cross. So whatever you finger or piece of paper, keep uh, your hand or something in Mark 15, okay? So keep in Mark 15, and we're going to do something here. We're going to look. Remember I told you about Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10? We're going to compare this first section, the second section, and the third section to Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10. Okay, so keep in Mark 15 and go to Mark chapter 8. And look at verse 31. This is all about Jesus' comprehensive plan, that this is the day that the Lord has made. 8.31, Mark 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man is going to suffer and be rejected by who? By the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Now go to Mark chapter 15, and what do we see in Mark 15, verse 1? Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes. And they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Hmm. All right. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. We just did 8. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 31. And keep your finger in Mark 15. Mark 9, verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them that the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. All right. Go to Mark 15, starting in verse 6. So now he's released, uh, Jesus is being released to Pilate, and then he then goes to the people, and they have this conversation. Do you want the king of the Jews, or do you want Barabbas? And they say, Barabbas, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And what do they say? Crucify him. So the leaders have turned on Jesus, and now his people have turned on him. Now look at Mark chapter 10, verses 30, uh, verse 33. This is part of Jesus' comprehensive plan of the cross. Mark 10, 33. Behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to who? To the Gentiles. Go to Mark 15. What happens at the end of 15? Right? Pilate releases Barabbas, has Jesus scourged and hands Him over to be crucified and who takes Him? The Roman soldiers into the palace the whole Roman cohort. Jesus' credentials are perfect. His plan is comprehensive. The Jewish people, the Gentile people, and the religious leaders are all part of Jesus' redemptive work. Turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. I'm sorry, John, did I say Mark? John chapter 10. John chapter 10, 11 through 16.
right? There's just nothing better than a perfect plan being perfectly executed by a perfect person. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And check out verse 16. I have other sheep, Jesus says, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Who is he talking about? Gentiles. That his comprehensive work on the cross is for everybody. Two folds, one flock, one shepherd. Praise the Lord. That's us. Also worth noting in our text, let's take a look at this guy named Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Do you know in our verses 1 through 21, his name is mentioned eight times. Our Lord's name is only mentioned three. In many ways, I think that Pilate's life is a portrayal of many of us who come into contact with Jesus because Pilate is in contact with Jesus in these verses. And so what can we learn from Pilate? On four occasions, we're given a glimpse of what is going on for Pilate during his encounter with Jesus. Check this out. Look at verse 5 of Mark 15. This is our first glimpse. Mark 15, verse 5. Jesus made no further comment, and Pilate was what, does it say? He was amazed. Hmm, all right. You ever been amazed by Jesus? I hope so. I'm amazed by him all the time. All right, so that's one thing that's going on for Pilate. Go to verse 10. For he, Pilate, was aware. So not only is he amazed, he's aware that the chief priests were just being envious. He's aware, like he's amazed by Jesus, and he's aware that the real issue is the envy of the religious leaders. All right, that's good. Good job so far, Pilate. Like he knows what's going on. He's amazed by Jesus, and he's aware that it's the other guys that got the problem. Look at verse, uh, where am I at? Uh, 14. But Pilate said to them, Why? What e- why should I crucify him? What evil has he done? In other words, he's done nothing wrong. So now he's amazed. He's aware that the issue's in the other party. And now he's convinced that Jesus is innocent. And then verse 15 happens. No! Wishing to satisfy the crowd, he releases Barabbas. And he hands Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate compromised. Pilate compromised. What about us? What sort of experiences do you have with Jesus? Do you have experiences where you're amazed by him? That's fantastic. Do you have experiences where you're aware of perhaps, uh, like, you know, it says Pilate was aware that other people were envious and so people might say things about Jesus or treat him a certain way, but really the issue is on their part and we're aware of that. Oh, it's not really Jesus' fault. It's they're they're the ones with the problem. Or we're, we're convicted that Jesus is innocent like Pilate was. And so we have all these wonderful experiences about Jesus. I think it's good to be amazed by Jesus. It's good to be aware of Jesus. It's good to be convinced about certain things of Jesus. But if we don't commit our lives to Jesus... We're going to end up just like Pilate and we're going to compromise and we're going to crucify him in our own way. 
That's the danger we live with every single day. It's not good enough to be amazed only. It's not good enough to be aware only. It's not good enough to be convicted. We need to be committed. Otherwise, we're going to be compromising, just like Pilate did. What else? There's chaos in these verses, and we didn't have time to really understand that. When I read these over and over and over, it's chaotic. Let me explain. Do you know that there's 56 references to people in these 21 verses? That's almost three per verse, excluding Jesus. 56. Chief priests, elders, scribes, council, Pilate, prisoner, Barabbas, insurrectionists, crowd, soldiers, Roman cohort, and then a bunch of they, he, I, you, me, him, them. 56. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of people talking, a lot of people doing stuff. It's chaotic in those 21 verses. And there's about 20 references to certain things that they're talking about Jesus. Certain activities, if you will. Let me give you some of those activities that these 56 references make. You can look in your Bibles if you want. In verse 1, they have a consultation about Jesus. They bind Jesus. They deliver Jesus to Pilate in verse 1. In verse 2, they question him. In verse 3, they accuse him harshly. In verse 4, they question him and bring charges against him. In verse 9, Pilate asks about him, do you want me to release him to you? In verse 11, the crowd says, release Barabbas, not him. In verse 12, he says, then what do you want me to do with him? And in verse 13, they say, crucify him. In verse 14, they say it again, crucify him. In verse 15, they scourge him and they hand him over. In verse 17, they dress him in purple and they throw a crown of thorns on him. And in 18, they mock him and say, oh, hail, king of the Jews. And in verse 19, they beat his head with a, with a rod and they spit on him continually. And they kneel and bow down before him in a, in a mocking way. And in verse 20, it says, after they mock him, they take the purple robe off of him and put his own clothes back on and they lead him out to be crucified. That's a lot, isn't it? a lot going on. It's chaos. Absolute chaos. I have no idea where I, I turn my pages and i got to find out where I'm at. Alright, I'm, I'm back. But, here's what's really cool about all that chaos. There's a calm. There's a calm in these 21 verses that just gripped me. In the midst of all this mayhem are his words. In what verse? Verse 2. Five words. If you have a red letter edition, it's only five words in these 21 verses that are in red ink. It's the only thing Jesus says in all that chaos. I don't know about you, but these words of our Lord here in verse 2 brought a calm that I think would otherwise be missing. Knowing who, what does he say in verse 2? It is as you say. Are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say. That's all he says in all this chaos and all this disorder. It is, as you say. Oh, that just grips me. Jesus knew who he was in relation to God his Father. He knew what God had called him to do. As we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was willing to submit to the Lord's will for his life. All that Jesus was, all that he did, was to please and trust and do the will of his Father. His identity and his value was found only in his heavenly Father. What about us? How calm and how stable are we in the midst of the chaos that comes into our lives? How calm are we? 
How stable are we? That's what Jesus has in store for us. How well do we know and trust and desire to do the will of, uh, of, our, of, of the Father in order that He be pleased? My, my college coach, when I played uh, baseball in college, Coach Louder, Howard Louder, he would say this. He says, you can always assess the character of an individual by watching how they respond during difficult and trying times. Anyone can act like a champion when things are going well. I remember that. I was a young man. I was 17 when I started college. I had a November birthday, right? I played for him for two years in junior college. And I, I just I think about that all the time. I want to be prepared for the tough stuff. Not just the good stuff. The good stuff's easy. Anybody can act like a champion when things are good. How prepared are we for the chaos? Can we, like Jesus, in the midst of all the chaos, say, it is as you say, bring it on. When the enemy says, church, when the enemy says, are you certain that you are loved by God? Because the enemy lies. The enemy wants to steal from us. The enemy wants to destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So when the enemy says, are you indeed loved by God? What do we say? We say what Jesus says. It is as you say. Amen. It is as you say. When the enemy says, are you certain that the Lord will help you get through this ordeal? You say to the enemy, it is as you say. Are you certain, the enemy says, that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you? And you say to the enemy, it is as you say. If we can't lean on the promises of God, what do we lean on? It is as he says. This molds and shapes our life in, 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 in profound ways. Because there is a real enemy that's trying to rip us off and tell us lies. And we need to be able to say to him, it is as my Lord says. It gives me hope. Jesus suffered quietly and did not fight back. And this would be a lesson that Mark's readers would need to learn as they too would face persecution at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, 21-25. My heading over verse 21 says that Jesus is our example. To be Christian means to live our lives as Christ did. Verse 21 says, For you, church, have been called for this purpose. Oh, right? So what's the will of God for my life? Well, here's one part of it. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself over and over and over. That's what kept entrusting means. Again and again and again and again. It will never stop until you breathe your last to continue to entrust your lives to Jesus Christ. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteous living. For by his wounds you and I are healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Praise be to God. Let's take a look at Barabbas. I don't know if you guys know this, but when there's B-A-R in front of somebody's name, do you know what that means? Does anybody know what that means, B-A-R? Son. Yeah. What does Abba mean? Father. 
Bar-Rabbas means son of a father, son of a dad. Interesting, right? What does um, uh, uh, Barnabas? We know Barnabas, right? On Paul's missionary journeys, what does Barnabas mean? Son of what? Son of encouragement, the Bible tells us. That's what his name means. In Mark chapter 10, there was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. It says there was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He just didn't give us what Timaeus meant. Bar means son and Abba means father. So Mark's presentation of Barabbas or Barabbas is meant to be ironic. Jesus was falsely accused by the Jews and condemned by Pilate for the very thing of which Barabbas was actually guilty. The mock or the fake son of the father, Barabbas, was freed, but the true son of the father was executed. So Mark is picturing Jesus as a substitute for one sinner, which of course implies a substitute for all of us, because we are all sons and daughters of a father. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also died for sins, once for all of us, the just Him, Jesus, for the unjust Barabbas, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Lastly, let's take a look at Simon of Cyrene, who bears the cross in verse 21. It wasn't just that Jesus was weak and couldn't carry it. There's a higher purpose behind verse 21. The victim... In this case, Jesus was supposed to carry their cross because they had been found guilty. Was Jesus guilty? No. Completely innocent. We are the guilty ones. And so Simon carried that cross on our behalf. He carried that cross on our behalf. Jesus didn't need to carry that cross. Simon carried it for you and for me. It's beautiful. Oh, Harry Truman once wrote this to his mother. He said, I went to the White House to see the president and discovered that I was the president. Simon of Cyrene came to Jerusalem because it's Passover week. And he came to celebrate the Passover and ended up meeting the Passover lamb and carrying his cross. Let me close with this, and then the worship band's going to come up. Jesus was mocked as a pretender. He was, in fact, however, a real king. The mocking was his enthronement. The cross was his throne. Mark wanted to emphasize that Jesus' kingship was characterized by humility and servanthood and was different from all the other kingships of the world. Amen? Let's pray. When I'm done praying, we're going to have a song to close us up and then our incredible prayer team will be here to pray with you. If you need any kind of prayer, let them pray with you and for you. God, we love you. We thank you for your, uh, for, the, for, for your son who's got all the credentials that we need for a Messiah. And we thank you that his plan was comprehensive. It included every one of us here in this building and, of course, all across the world. We love you. We thank you. We magnify your name. And everybody said, amen.